Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Thornley campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. For another person. And our first reading today, we have two. The first reading covers the fact that this is a very rare thing. Very rarely will a human give their life for another. But God... But God. Let's have a look at it together. Oh, just before we do, one other thing I need to clear up with you. You're going to hear two words pretty, pretty frequently. Grace and mercy. And I'm sure you know, but let me remind you, grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And mercy is not receiving what you do. Mercy, you don't receive what you do deserve. In grace, you are given what you don't deserve. So now let's look at our scriptures together. Thanks, Stuart. First one from Romans, Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. You can look at that in your Bibles or in your electronic Bibles or, of course, the screen. You see, just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now from Ephesians chapter 2, first seven verses. As for you, you were dead in transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. I think that's why the scripture today was, do not lean on your own understanding. The, uh, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. May God add his blessing to that reading of his word. In my experience in the 33 years on radio and a lot of time in the community as well, uh, Aussies like Jesus. They love the way that he welcomed sinners. And in fact, as we've just read, he did much more than welcome sinners. He died for them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But when we use the word sinner, the Aussie reaction, whether they come from whatever country they've come here from, very quickly the culture asserts itself and the Aussie reaction is very different. They love the fact that Jesus welcomes sinners, but I never started my program ever by going, good evening and welcome to Nightline on 6PR, lovely to have your company. Uh, I just want to begin by telling you, you're a sinner. My audience would have been very small, very because you see, what they would have heard me say was, you're a sinner and I'm not. Now, the Bible always uses we. Do you notice in our reading today, while we were sinners... When God is speaking of us, he never uses you. Always we, while we were sinners. Paul, the apostle, the great apostle, wrote most of the New Testament, writes to his young apprentice, Timothy. And he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Great theological, absolutely accurate theological statement. 
But he continues the sentence. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I, Paul, am the worst. The Bible's approach to this is always, we are all in this together. As you know, Jesus attracted the marginalised and the broken, the ones society rejected or ignored. He attracted the notorious. Notorious sinners came to Jesus, flocked to him. Interesting question why they don't always flock to church today. Anyway, they flocked to Jesus and he never used the word to them. In fact, the word sinner only occurs about seven or eight times in the whole four Gospels. And almost always, almost always, Jesus uses it once near his trial and crucifixion, but mostly it's used of the Pharisees that were attacking him. Luke 15, once, classic example. They say this, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they're saying what my audience would have thought I was saying. They are saying, we, they are sinners, we are not and you're supposed to be holy, Jesus? How does that work? So how does Jesus respond to that, to that attack? Well, in Luke's gospel, he talks about the lost coin. We sang about it in a couple of the verses today. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. See, God wants his family back. The father wants his children back. And in Mark, he uses a medical image. He talks about... Um, it's not the healthy, I've got it on the screen there, thanks Stuart. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, in this sense, a sinner simply means this. I have a need, it's a desperate need, and I can't fix it up. Pulling on my shoelaces doesn't get me off the ground. I have a great need and I can't do it on my own. Maybe he can if you're in that situation, if you're sitting here this morning, no matter how far from God you feel, even if your hope is almost extinguished, that's a great grace. Not only because, as James pointed out, because his strength is made perfect in our weakness, but if we're aware of our deep need, there is a great physician here. People were attracted to Jesus in hope and they never left him disappointed. The first sinners, I guess, were Adam and Eve. And what they did, as you know, the God gave them the garden and said, you can have everything in the garden, but not this. And by their actions in taking this, what Adam and Eve said to God was this, God, you don't get to make the rules. I decide. And that's been the heartbeat of humanity ever since. God, you don't make, I mean, I might follow your rules, Lord. Uh, not Lord, you can't call him Lord and think this way. I might follow your rules, God, but I will decide whether I do or not. You don't make the decisions, I get to make the rules. And it echoes through our culture. It's reflected everywhere. It's reflected in our literature, for example. Uh, there's a D.H. Lawrence novel called The Boy. One of the characters wants to take a second wife, but he says this, I refuse the sin business since I say my way is better. I should have my two wives. Now, he's not refusing the sin business. He's exemplifying. He's living it. My way is better. I uh, heard recently of a Greek philosopher. Well, I was reminded of Protagoras. Most people don't know him. One of the early sophists might be the first, actually. But Protagoras had a maxim by which he's mostly known... Man is the measure of all things. 
See, I get to make the rules. I, I heard somebody interviewed this week, a journalist, and she said, well, a lot of people say they don't believe in God, but they're spiritual. Well, I have wonder, but I'm not spiritual. She is defined... And now, I'm not knocking these people. All I'm wanting to say here is, this is the heart of... So this idea of sinners is just the human way of approaching things. It says, we make the rules, God, you don't. And we may obey you, but it's our choice. And at times we won't, and that's our choice. Not, I'm not saying here we want to obey God and you, because we're human, you don't. I, heard, I read actually last week a, a life coach online. I'm not sure what a life coach is, but she is one. And uh, she wrote this, The biggest truth that I had no awareness of was my power to create my life. My power to create my life. Well, that could not be more dramatically in opposition to our reading today. Our reading says, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Powerless. How powerless were we? Well, in the second reading, we had as much power as a dead person. Our problem with God is we weren't in the doghouse, <laughs> we are in the morgue. We have as much power as it, and that is a bit confronting to 21st century years, I know. You think, hey, what do you mean I'm dead? I'm alive. How can I be dead while I'm alive? It may be confronting, but it's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 5, anyone who hears my word and believes in the one who sent me has crossed over from death to life. And to the church in Sardis, Jesus says, Revelation 3, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. What does that mean then? Confronting as it is, what does it mean? Well, it just means, God, you don't get to make the rules, I do. You don't get to make the rules, I do. Thanks, Steve. It's book after book after book of self-help and, and human philosophy has that theme. And Paul explains what really he means by dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And in the message translation, he says this. We followed the ways of this world. We were doing, we do, we, sorry, doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. So it doesn't mean that you, I mean, you know, you, it doesn't mean you're going out and robbing banks or shooting people. It just means you're following the ways of the world and doing what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. But do you notice the word there again? We. And I love the way Peterson in the message finishes this section of scripture. He says, all of us in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. I wonder how many are looking around the room. A few people have hair my colour. And you might have remembered learning Romans. Oh, you probably did too. You learned Romans 3.23, Craig? Did you learn that? You might have. You better. You're a pastor. But when we were kids, we were actually, it was, it was drilled into us. You might have too, Kim. You might be the right vintage maybe. A bit younger than me, but you could be. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that was the emphasis. All have sinned. Usually they said it with a frown from high. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and uh, it's true, of course, because actually what they didn't tell me was that verse, the, the term sin means miss the mark. I know many of you would know that. It comes from archery. 
So, so for example, if you're in an archery contest and you take careful aim and let the arrow fly and you hit an official or a spectator, you have sinned. <laughs> right? That's all it really means. <laughs> so the same thing, if the target is the glory of God, how many front up? <laughs> Nobody. So what the scripture is saying is we're all in the same boat. When David dedicated the temple, he prayed this in 1 Kings 8. Lord, when, not if, when they sin against you, and they certainly will, there is no one who does not sin. You know, God puts us all in the sin boat for the most amazing, loving, life-transforming, life-giving reason. It's a fantastic reason. So they taught me to know uh, Romans 3.23 off by heart, and I'm not criticising, but I just wish they'd got me to learn 3.24 as well. Have a look at it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace. The only people who need a doctor are the sick. The only people who need grace need grace, and that's me. Because I'm in the sin boat, I can receive what I don't deserve and I won't receive what I do deserve. You see that word grace. Now, Paul comes to mercy, that other word, a bit later in the book of Romans. And he says, God has bound everyone into disobedience, the sin boat, so that he might have mercy on them all. Now, it's a beautiful promise, isn't it? But what about deep down in your heart? Or let's get a bit more real. What about in your gut? See, for me, Romans 3.23 is easy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Present. <laughs> I'm here. But are justified freely by his grace. H have grace and mercy poured on me. Do I See, the, I know myself too well. I know that the very thing I'm preaching about this morning, speaking about this morning. See, there's another word that you've got to watch in our culture, don't you? don't want to be preached at, kind of think, stick it in your bottom drawer. But Jesus didn't do that. He spoke with clarity and power and conviction. He didn't preach at people. But for me, all of sinned and fault, I can hear a speaker say, we can have his grace, we can have his mercy, but I think, but I know myself too well. See, often for me, I know God, the scripture tells me I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, but I don't. For me, it's sometimes like going through the checkout at the supermarket. You know how it is. You come up to the checkout, and uh, in my wife's case these days, you tap the card. For me, I'll pay with this thing or with my phone. It's interesting. If it's a young person doing the checkout <laughs> and I pull this out or use this, their face is a picture. They look like, how can this fossil possibly understand... <laughs> One of, them, one of them actually said to me once, it's very good that someone your age can do that. I said, oh, I, I dress myself and everything now, I do my own shoes up. I'm, I'm doing very, I'll be a big help to my mum when I grow up. But you come in and you, you swipe your card or click your, you do your thing, but then you wait. And it goes, do not remove your card, processing, processing. Now, in the spiritual sense, what I'm expecting is, I'm sorry, your card has been declined. But isn't that wonderful when you get approved? 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm so delighted. It just means you're more in debt than you were before. <laughs> but approved. <laughs> I love the one that you get a little green tick as well. I love those. You think, yes, I am affirmed as a person. I have swiped my card. I have been approved by my bank. I go forth to face life. <laughs> so we all, but the lovely thing is, I'm, the reason I struggle is I'm looking at the wrong account. I'm wondering if, the, no, I'm not wondering if there's enough in my account. I know there's nowhere near enough in my account. But it's not my account that counts. When I swipe my card, God looks at Jesus' account, not mine. You see, um, I'm ignoring the, the, in those, those readings, it is by his grace. And God has mercy on them all. My redemption came by Christ Jesus, not me. In fact, God's love, and if you forget everything else I say today, remember this. Those crucial words in between but and God in Ephesians 2, but God because, but because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for us. See, God does not love us. He doesn't, God doesn't love me because of some lovable quality in me. Now, it doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't mean I don't have any. As we come out here to Thornley, I think you might see one or two. You see a lot more in Merle, but you'll see some of them in me. But God doesn't love me because of some lovable quality, and he doesn't love me because of some performance of mine. God loves me because he chooses to. God loves me because he is love. And God chose to love me before he created the world. If he's, if God loved you before creation. It was his choice. Long Ephesians 1 verse 4. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, settled on us as the object of his love, the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love doesn't depend on us so how accepted are we well we're this accepted God raised us up and seated us God, sorry God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ imagine you went home and one day next week, whichever day the postie comes, it doesn't come every day anymore, uh, you took out your mail and in there was a very official starched white envelope. And on the back it had a wax seal. You might think, oh my goodness, I'm going to Hogwarts. Or uh, you may think, oh no, hang on, <laughs> it must be royal. It's got to be government house at least. And you open it up and out on a beautiful parchment you read these words and it's come let's say from a king or a queen or a sheikh somebody who is both powerful and incredibly rich and you read these words <coughs> I have sworn an oath in the blood of my only son that I will spend my riches showing you kindness beyond your capacity to imagine for the rest of your life well, that is exactly what God is saying here. That is exactly what he is saying. I have sworn by the blood of my only son to show my riches to you, the incomparable riches. That's hard to say, isn't it? 
Mind you, if a word's got more than two syllables, I tend to mispronounce it. I find that. But, but the incomparable riches of his grace. I, it would be wonderful to receive a letter like that from some powerful and rich person. But human wealth compared to the riches of God's grace, it's like a grain of sand compared to all the deserts and beaches of this planet. And there's so much more than that in God's well, what he owns, but there's also so much more than material things in his grace. And he wants to show his kindness to you for eternity, for eternity. See, a, a king could only do this for human life or your human life. Eternity? I mean, human life's just a vapor, Psst, gone. But God is saying, I want to shower this on you for eternity. Okay, moving to a conclusion. It's meant to start when we meet Jesus, isn't it? It's one final other, because we've got to come to this theme alive. It's meant to start when we meet Jesus. Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundantly, more real and better life than you ever dreamed possible. And if you're not enjoying that, then it isn't what God wants for you. He wants you to have abundant life. In fact, the church in its early days expected this to be lived experience. It wasn't a lofty ideal or, or a verse we all say. They expected people to be living abundantly. In uh, about 180, uh, 180 years after Jesus' life, one of the early church fathers, uh, a guy called... Uh, Irenaeus, he wrote this, Gloria Dei est viviens homo. Now I'm glad you, you're very glad I shared that with you today, aren't you? Because you feel mightily blessed now. Actually, you would know it better by the little translation, the glory of God is a human fully alive. It's not, an, it's not accurate, but it's good enough for now. The glory of God is a human fully alive. So two questions as we start to move towards the conclusion today. I, am I alive? at all have I ever crossed that line ever uh, ever surrendered to Jesus am I fully alive we want to be careful here because fully alive doesn't mean fully mature just before I show you the next pick I want to tell you about somebody well I'm not going to show you Stuart will but just before he does let me tell you about this person they were born in a very wealthy part of the world they were born into a part of the world which had great education magnificent medical resources, fantastic sporting facilities, great art, great culture, and they have done nothing. Not only have they failed to take advantage of any one of those things, they still live at home on their parents. Think about that person as they are in your mind at the moment <laughs> and have a look at this. Well, of course she hasn't taken any advantage of the education or the sporting facilities or won a gold medal or got a scholarship. She's a baby and she's adored for doing nothing. And we, we love that. And she reflects the glory of God. Not at the nappy end, but generally she reflects God's glory. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. Every baby reminds you of that, I reckon. God's fresh, creative mercy is there. I want to show you another beautiful child. Thank you, Stuart. That's our grandson, our youngest, Justin. A little while ago now. But Justin is very good. He was then. He was very good at turning taps on. 
Turning taps off, not so good. Not quite, wasn't quite there as much. And in the clay soil of Tennessee, with that hose and about two minutes, he could create the most spectacular mud puddle you have ever seen. So it was enormous and deadly. So he would come back in filthy, spectacularly dirty, and you could guarantee the hose would still be running out the front. How did his parents react? Well, some frustration, but they still loved him. How do his grandparents react? Well, you were the same at his age. <laughs> grandparents and grandchildren get on well because they have a common enemy. <laughs> but Jesus said, if you lot, ripe and royal as you are, if you're a pretty notorious lot, and if you know how to be good to your children, how much more your father? Can I tell you this morning, your father in heaven understands that his children forget and they get dirty. He understands that. So don't let the enemy tell you about a God that doesn't understand that. The second thing, fully mature, doesn't mean out of trouble. Fully alive, sorry, doesn't mean free of trouble. Fully alive doesn't mean fully mature and fully alive doesn't mean free of trouble. <laughs> You know, before I go on to this, because there's a few here, my colour in the room, but whatever age you are, God understands his children. And Jesus said, unless we become like children, we won't enter the kingdom. How alive is the child in you? Because he wants it fully alive. As we get older, what's God's promise? Psalm 92, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. They'll still bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green. Praise the Lord who fills your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, of course we age. But as Paul said, our bodies outwardly are decaying, but inwardly our spirits are renewing. And he wants you fresh and new and green and even deeper understanding of him because of the years you've spent with him. That's his, his desire for you. Fully alive doesn't mean free of trouble. Where was Paul when he wrote to the Ephesians? In prison. David wrote, I trust and am not afraid what can mere mortals do to me when he was captured by the Philistines. He wrote, your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Be exalted, God, when he was in a cave fleeing from Saul. I love this. He wrote, taste and see. Really taste and see that the Lord is good when he was pretending to be insane to escape a king, Abimelech. And if you said to David, how do you, mate, how do you do it? How on earth can you be in so much trouble and have this enormous praise that still centuries later lifts our spirits? And if you did ask him that, David would say to you, well, there's just one thing. If you have this one thing, you can face anything. But neglect it at your peril. And here it is. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him. Can I promise you that as we start this journey together, all the activities, sometimes we focus on dwell in the house of the Lord, got to get to church more, got to get more involved. Yeah, that's fine, but I promise you, every activity 
that we take together here are simply a means to an end. We only do any of them praying that the Holy Spirit will use them to enable you to, to gaze on the beauty of Jesus, to see him. Irenaeus, Irenaeus really said this, the glory of God is a human fully alive and the life of a human being consists in gazing on God, beholding God. Brennan Manning has a deep, if you've never read the Ragamuffin Gospel, you may not know, but he's got this deep understanding of the tender love of God. And, but he says this, my understanding of the relentless tenderness of God didn't come from exegetes or theologians or spiritual writers. It came from sitting still in the presence of the living word, Jesus, and beseeching him to help me understand with my head and my heart his written word. Zacchaeus gazes on Jesus and is transformed. He gazes on him from the tree. When Jesus says, I'm going to have lunch with you, you or I'm going to have dinner with you, you notorious little sinner, uh, it says he came down out of the tree. I always say I think he fell down out of the tree in shock. And then Jesus sits and because of the kindness of God, which always leads us to repentance, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give all, anything, anyone I've wronged, I'll pay back the maximum four times and I'll give half my goods to the poor. He's transformed by grace. Abraham, Jesus says, by the way, Zacchaeus, you're a son of Abraham. Well, Abraham, John Dixon points out in one of his books, nothing in the biblical text suggests Abraham was particularly righteous or obedient. Abraham's a sinner startled by grace. God simply turns up with blessings he does not deserve. But to his credit, Abraham responds to that grace with his obedience. Abraham began as Abram. Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, a reed blown, but you will be the rock, Peter, Cephas. Jesus doesn't call you what you call yourself. He doesn't call you what others call you. Jesus calls you what he intends to make you. He, he calls you by what you will be. When Peter said to him, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Follow me, I will make you. Have a look at this. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. The trapeze artists are up there for a few reasons. The first one, do you notice their hands? They're empty. If you're going to let God, if you're going to put your hand up for God to take it, you can't have something else in it. We need empty hands because he's all we need. And I wonder what he might be asking you to just open your hand on this morning. Secondly, can you notice they are looking at one another? They have to. They never lose eye contact or all is lost. David says, I want to gaze on Jesus' beauty or God's beauty. Well, to gaze is not to glance. Their eyes are fixed. And the other reason they're up there is because of my, one of my heroes, Henry Nguyen. Henry loved trapeze. 
and he got to know the Flying Rodleys very well, became a friend, travelled with them. One day speaking to the leader, he said, the leader said to him this, Henry, people think I'm the great star, but the true star is my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air. If I grab his wrists, I may break them or mine, and it's the end. God will catch you. But he went, on, he went on and said this, The secret is, the flyer does nothing, and the catcher does everything. I have simply to stretch out my arms and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. Your catcher says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Open your hands, become fully alive and trust. Merle and I were watching the Moscow Circus many years ago and the the trees there was unbelievable. But I kept hearing this, they'd be doing their thing and suddenly you'd hear, Hup! and as soon as that voice, the, the flyer went, didn't think twice, just you hear, Hup! and the flyer was on their way because the catcher was saying, now. And this morning I wonder if you hear Jesus saying, Hup! let's pray. I just want to give you a moment as the worship team return, uh, a quiet moment to... See if the catcher is saying something to you. Maybe you've come to church for years, but you've never actually said, Jesus, I surrender to you. So you've been around church, but not in it in a sense. You might have been a loyal supporter. You might have even agreed with lots of what you've heard. But this morning, maybe you can say, Lord, I surrender. I let go. You are going to make the rules from now on, not me. But for others of you, in whatever way God is speaking to you, respond to his mercy and his grace. Father, your precious people are in this room, every one of them loved more by you than we can imagine. Every one of them judged by you to be worth dying for and raising for and you long to raise us. In the deepest part of our heart, Lord, teach us how to gaze on you and to fly. How to to see our weaknesses as an opportunity for your strength to be made perfect. To see that we're not to rely on our own understanding. Teach us how to acknowledge you in all our ways. In all our ways to open our arms and fly. And Lord, thank you for the exciting journey ahead for Thornley. In your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.